Hey there, folks. Brian here. Thanks for joining me again. This week you're going to get four chapters. Teaching Tree Man as usual. Chapters 9 to 12. And after that, you're going to get a special tree. That's right. I landed them, everybody. A legend in rock. Absolute legend. One of the greats. And if you know this song, who I'm talking about. But I'm not going to tell you. You're just going to have to wait. You're just going to have to wait. Anyway, enjoy. Chapter 9. Ain't friends the craziest things? I've got it! Lucas said to the man in the tree after a minute of pondering. I can't believe I didn't think of it before. I'll just bring my chainsaw out here, and even though I hate to use the obnoxious thing, I can cut you down. The tree man's brow wrinkled like an earthquake, and if he could have, he probably would have scratched under his chin, too. Well, Lucas said. Unfortunately, no, the tree man said. Why not? You said you hoped the lightning could bring you down, so what's the difference? A couple of things. First, that was four years ago, when I could feel my body, my little body, inside this tree. Now, I barely remember how it feels. Second, the lightning apparently just grazed the tree up high. Had it been a direct hit, or closer to me, I'm sure it would have killed me. Anyway... I fear that I am too much a part of this tree, so chopping it down will only result in my death. Well, shit, Lucas yelled, pounding his fist into his palm. I thought for sure we had it. Okay, think, Paul, think. Come on, there's got to be some way to do this. No, I'm afraid if it was that simple, I would have suggested it already, the tree man said. Lucas paced back and forth for a few minutes, around and around the grove, hoping the motion would somehow trigger a brilliant answer in his brain but nothing came to him. I have a feeling you're going to have to think on it and get back to me, the tree man said. Damn, I want to help you now. I know, but a few more days up here are not going to kill me. Lucas huffed, then looked at his cell phone clock. Again, the screen was dark. What the hell's wrong with this thing, Lucas thought. He looked at the sun through the trees and guessed that it was at least nine o'clock. Can you tell time? He asked the tree man. Tell time? Yeah, like right now it's 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, Lucas said. The tree man thought for a minute and said, Yes, I know what you mean, but there's no reason for me to, to, to so I don't. Never mind then, Lucas said. Point is, I've got to get going. But before I do, I want to give you something. What's that? Your first taste of truly independent life outside this tree, Lucas said. I don't know why, but I'm completely confident I'm going to free you. And when I do, you'll need a name. A good, solid name. A name that represents who you are and gives you some grounding in what you can become. I did some research to see if there were names that represented men in trees like yourself, and I found a perfect name in honor of an ancient god of the forest and woods, Sylvanus. And in honor of this great big tree you find yourself in, We'll make your last name Douglas. Sylvanus Douglas. 
The tree man wrinkled his brow. You like it, don't you? Silence. Don't you? Lucas waited and watched the tree man. Out of its eye, a large drop of sappy tear was forming. Eventually, gravity set it free, and it rolled off his face to the ground below, forcing Lucas to jump back to avoid its mammoth size. Man, you sure do have killer tears. Sorry, the man said, quivering. I just don't know what to, to, to say. Thank you. And with that, the man's face morphed back into a knot, leaving Lucas with only himself to utter the words, You're welcome, too. Lucas hurried home, afraid he was in for another scolding for spending too much time in the woods. But when he got there, Terry's car was gone. Gone? He looked at the cell phone. It was working again and read 9.50. How did it get so late? And where's Terry? Maybe she took Scarlet to church. They rarely went anymore, since neither really strongly felt one way or another about the existence of the Christian idea of God and whether or not he sent a human messenger thousands of years in the distant past. Still, sometimes they attended for Scarlet's sake and for the sake of keeping up appearances in the community. In the past year or two, the Lucases had grown lazy about going, and so far, Lucas hadn't heard from anyone at school that they were missed. Instead, Lucas often took Scarlet to the place where he felt the divine could more, be more easily sensed than in a church, Last Rush Canyon. No, a minister preaching about the divine couldn't hold a candle to directly experience it in nature. He went into the kitchen, turned on the light, and saw a note on the table. Went to church. Larry Sherry called. 845-4575. 845-4575? That's a local number. Is he really in town? Larry Sherry's in the house? No freaking way! It had been over two years since the old college roommates had seen each other. In the interim, Sherry had hopscotched around the world building a career as an adventurous host of a series of documentaries that mostly aired on cable TV. In them, he covered many topics, but one of his main themes was the vanishing indigenous cultures around the world, especially in exotic locales like the Amazon, Africa, and the South Pacific. Lucas had last seen him on the Discovery Channel and almost didn't recognize him. Not only had Sherry lost a lot of weight, but he had been dressed in the traditional garb of the African Bwiti people as he was investigating that tribe's use of iboga, a powerful psychedelic plant that the tribesfolk claimed put them in touch with the spirit of nature, as well as being able to draw up memories of one's past. What could he be doing in run-of-the-mill Lincolnton? Lucas picked up the phone and dialed the number. Wait for it, Kimosabi, Larry said as he inhaled some Chinese noodles while somehow managing to chew on some orange chicken and sip on a Coke. Come on, bro, Lucas said, tired of waiting, yet knowing that the more he expressed his impatience, the more Larry would make him wait. Larry seemed to slow down his chewing, concentrating on each bite until he finally swallowed. Then he dabbed his face at the napkin and took a deep breath. Okay, he said, but then stayed silent. This time, Lucas waited, no matter how impatient he felt. Yes, you are ready, Larry said, smiling at his friend. 
Here it is. The reason I am here is because I'm scaling big, bad, and beautiful Mount Rainier next week. So I figured Lincolnton would be a perfect base camp until I left. After all, that's where Paul Lucas lives. Lucas peered around his mound of golden chicken at his old friend and said, Well, it's great to see you, bro. Seeing Larry always helped Lucas relax a bit about his public persona, and it almost, but not quite, brought out the mischief maker in him again. No, he could leave the mischief to Larry. Larry had always been a character. In college, he'd worn torn black jeans, one of hundreds of black concert t-shirts from one of the many new wave or goth bands of the 1980s, a long black trench coat, and had spiked his red hair and dyed it totally black. Flash forward to this afternoon, and the look had greatly changed. His red hair was now curly, and long absent of any artificial coloring, his face was covered with a thick red beard, and his green eyes were deeper and more intense, perhaps reflecting his worldliness. Still, Lucas could see behind the intensity and could still sense a dancing sprite there, full of humor. He wore thick hiking boots, pea-green khakis, and a loud blue Hawaiian t-shirt with purple surfers in a green sunset. His character hadn't been lost. It had simply mutated. He'd gone from no color to every color in the book. Where were you last? Lucas asked, washing down some teriyaki chicken with his cook. Let's see, Larry said, leaning back, crossing his legs, and wiping his face with his napkin. Los Angeles. Come on, Los Angeles? That's not the exotic answer I was hoping for. Nah, nah, I suppose it wasn't, Larry said. Even the great ones have tedious tasks sometimes. You better believe it. Sure, I would have rather been out in the world somewhere. Just about anywhere is better than that shithole town. But I had some business to attend to in L.A., so I went and got it over with. My agent says it'll help me sell books. Books? Yeah, I convinced my agent that the Sherry Empire needs to expand, Larry said. But the convincing was easy. I just said, ka-ching! I suppose it's a good thing that you got an agent, Lucas said. After all, you never were one for self-promotion. Nah, I hate it, Larry said. But my agent was insistent to the point where he threatened to quit if I didn't go, so I went. Must be strange being this hotshot TV show reporter and future best-selling author, Lucas said. If you discount the world travel, the exotic women, and the fine wines, no, it's nothing special, Larry said, and stretched a double-decker smile across his well-tanned face. So what's the deal with Mount Rainier? Well, my muse and I have this deal. No talking about the current project or she leaves me. Gone! Just like that! The bitch. He put his hands over his mouth and swallowed a large bit of chicken. Whoops! Hope you didn't hear that, Teeny Conda! Teeny Conda? Found her on a beach in Hawaii, Larry said, as if it were perfectly normal to be strolling down the beaches of Hawaii and finding wandering muses who needed an artist to hook up with. Been with me ever since. She's a good one, I tell you, but she does have some funny rules. Still, no need to rock a floating boat. So that's how you're going to be, Lucas said, chiding his old friend. You can't even tell your old college roommate a little. Okay, okay, Larry said, wiping his lips with a napkin and finishing his coke before setting it down loudly on the table. He looked around quickly, bulging eyes, searching the restaurant. For what? His muse? He cleared his throat and finally said softly, Lahars. Lahars? You mean mudflows? No more! Larry shouted. 
causing two families at the booth to cross the room to glance their way. Sorry, but I, I sense her. Yep, that's her, all right. She's near. Can't we talk about something else? Uh, sure, Lucas said, feeling a bit uncomfortable. Sometimes Larry had a disturbing way of playing his act so well that Lucas wasn't sure if it was an act. Say, do you remember that night at Husky Stadium? Larry asked. Are you kidding me? I'd be crazy to forget. We were really out of our heads that night. Yeah, Lucas agreed. I still can't believe how long you must have been out there racing those goddamn shopping carts end zone to end zone. Jack always said he didn't tell his friends in security to ignore the stadium that night. But to this day, I bet he did. Nah, man, it was divine intervention, Larry said. Sometimes, someone up there just pulls a few strings of fate, just so a few of us down here can have a killer night like that one. It certainly was unforgettable, Lucas said. If only my school knew about the collegiate Paul Lucas swallowing magic mushrooms like they were aspirins, I really doubt they would ever have awarded me Teacher of the Year. Imagine that, Larry said, a man who has done something so sinful as eating psychedelic mushrooms, teaching our children, and doing it well. Never! Yeah, Lucas said. Well, unfortunately, at school I'm sworn to secrecy. Kind of like you and your muse. Only difference is, mine is logical, Larry said and smiled. He doesn't really believe that, does he? Anyway... Remember how we all felt like we could feel each other's bodies, and how our bodies felt like they were extending out into the world around us? It was like our everyday reality of having boundaries between ourselves and the world is not the true reality. That on a deeper level, everything truly is connected, Larry said. Yeah, how can I forget, Lucas said. It was like discovering parts of our bodies that we never knew existed. Still, it's frustrating though, isn't it, Lucas said. What? Larry asked. Just how mind-blowing and profound those experiences are, but how difficult they are to put into everyday words. So difficult that when we try, people who haven't had the experience end up making fools of us, Lucas said. Well, people who do that are the true fools, in my opinion, Larry said. The reality is, society has no idea how many great people there are like you, Lucas. People who've explored their consciousness, finding new ways to expand their awareness, who then take those lessons into the real world. Wait! Lucas suddenly had an inspiration. Do you know how to get mushrooms now? Larry stopped. Of course! You think Larry Sherry would lose all his connections just like that? No. Damn right, no! Larry said. I can probably get them tonight or tomorrow. By Tuesday at the latest. Guaranteed. After all, it's harvest time. But I gotta know. Why do you ask? Well, Lucas said, not sure if he should say. But the Chinese food and the reminiscing had loosened his tongue, so he said, Okay, you're just about the only person I can think of who's crazy enough to believe my answer. I need to liberate a man stuck in the side of a tree. And for the first time that lunch, Larry Sherry was silent. Chapter 10. Keeping Silent, Speaking Up Knitting. It was always knitting. Whenever Terry was angry and unwilling to talk to him, she turned to knitting and sitting on the living room couch. Eyes focused on the needle winding in and out of afghans, sweaters, or hats. Always knitting. When Lucas returned home that Sunday afternoon, she was in that zone, and Scarlet was sprawled on the floor in her own zone, coloring. The television blared the cartoon channel, but neither paid any attention. 
Lucas knew he was asking for trouble by trying to talk to her while she was knitting, but he'd had enough of the silent treatment nonsense. So he tried to get Terry talking by bringing up Larry Sherry. Larry had always been a fascinating subject to Terry. Like many people, she struggled to comprehend that Larry was actually real. Still, when Lucas told her about Larry's latest project on volcanic mud flows, Terry responded with a cold, That's nice and just kept right on knitting without even looking up at him. Lucas kept at her by telling her about Larry's new look, but again she just kept on knitting and responding with icy two-word sentences. He finally gave up. As he was walking out of the room, however, Terry spoke. Paul, she said. Lucas stopped and turned to face her. I know I can't go on being mad at you forever since we are still married, she said. But I can't just let my feelings go, simply because it's time to move on. I was sort of hoping you might consider admitting your surprise was just a joke, but I guess I'll just have to keep on hoping. Lucas didn't know what to say. How could he apologize for a joke when it wasn't a joke? Terry, it wasn't a joke. It... Are you serious? she asked. Yes, he said. I swear. Then I don't know what to say, she said, knitting again. Come on, Terry, if you just give me one more chance, I can arrange for Sylvanus to be awake. Sylvanus? That's his name. Oh, so now you've named this imaginary friend. Paul, what's gotten into you? Nothing, he yelled. Damn it, Terry, why are you making this so difficult on me? Paul, you need to take a close look in the mirror. I can't believe you would blame me, Terry said, finally putting her afghan and needle down. Perhaps you need help. As my wife, Terry, you're supposed to be my help, Lucas said. I can't help a man who cannot help himself, she said. Now go away, we're not getting anywhere, but please! Lucas bit his lip, shifted on his heels, shoved his hands in his pockets, and begrudgingly left Terry to her knitting. Scarlet had gone on coloring throughout the argument as if she were not in the same room. Is she getting used to this? I hope not, because I'm sure not. Sylvanus was right. Lucas was really going to have to go out on a limb to save him. Terry left for work earlier than ever the next morning, which left Scarlet with her dad and an extra hour to kill. Let's you and me go see the man in the tree, Lucas said to her during breakfast. Scarlet wasn't too enthused, but she put on her heavy coat anyway and headed out into the still cold woods with her dad. The early morning stillness of the forest made the journey a more quiet, relaxed one than it had been on Saturday morning with Terry. Eventually, they reached the grove, and Scarlet watched her father look up at the tree he talked to before. Oh, hello, he yelled. Mr. Sylvanus Douglas, I've brought my daughter out here to see you, so it's time to wake up. Nothing happened to the knot. Scarlet looked at her dad, her face hardening, when all of a sudden the knot began to move. Sylvanus! Lucas yelled, there you are. Slowly, Scarlet watched as the knot took on the distinctive characteristics of a man's face. She stepped back, and Lucas put his hand on her shoulder, saying, It's okay, honey. He's very nice. Sometimes, Sylvanus barked, I'm nice. But other times, like when you wake me up from a pleasant sleep, I can be a real bear. And he roared causing Lucas's unkempt hair to stand on end and Scarlet to cower under one of her daddy's long legs. Before Lucas could respond, Sylvanus said, Oops, 
I'm sorry, honey. Just a bad joke. My friend Baldaris taught me how to do that. Baldaris? A bear, Sylvanus said. But that's neither here nor there. Hello, he said sweetly to Scarlet. What's your name, sweetheart? Scarlet held her fingertips to her lips, nervously biting. Go ahead, honey, Lucas said. Tell the man in the tree. Scarlet, she said. Scarlet, Sylvanus repeated. Pretty name. Nice to meet you, Scarlet. Both Lucas and Scarlet laughed. What? the tree man asked. Her name, Lucas said, is Scarlet. Ho, oh, ho, Sylvanus said and laughed. Sorry, Scarlet. He winked at her and she giggled. It's a pleasure to make your acquaintance. Look, Sylvanus, Lucas said, I've got some good news about our discussion yesterday. It looks like an old friend of mine is going to be able to help us out. Really? How? Well, I can't exactly say in front of... He gestured at Scarlet. But I think it's going to work. Wait, Sylvanus said. I don't understand. Why do you have to be so quiet in front of Scarlet? Scarlet was following the conversation as best as she could, but it was turning into one of those adult conversations that didn't really make sense, where everything seemed like it was hidden in codes behind unspoken words. Still, she never heard anybody ask her father why he spoke like this in front of her, and she was curious to hear his answer. Well, Lucas said, there are some things that are best not talked about in front of children. Sylvanus lowered his gaze at Lucas. If you say so, I just think it's weird. Sad but true, Lucas said, but I think it just might work. Now I've got to go. I'll be back later this week to accomplish our mission. Okay, Sylvanus said. It was nice meeting you, Scarlet. Scarlet smiled at him and shyly nodded. And Paul, Sylvanus said. Thanks. You broke our arrangement, Big Me was telling Sylvanus later that morning. I made it clear to you. Only the man. But she's just a little girl, Sylvanus protested. She's not the one who will harm this forest. He could feel something like a sigh from within the tree, and in his mind Sylvanus heard Big Me's response. I agree with you, Big Me said, and I'll say as much to the other trees. But you need to understand something. They are concerned. They sense something coming and just want to proceed cautiously. I understand, Sylvanus said. That said, even I have to agree with them about the woman. Do not show yourself to her, Big Me said. But she's not going to harm the forest either, Sylvanus said. How can you know that? Because, Sylvanus started, but then realized he didn't have an answer. Look, I watched the way Paul cares for the forest, the way he cleared the path to this clearing, careful not to harm anything. I really doubt a person like that would be with a woman who wanted to harm us. Well, I will present your position to the trees, Big Me said, but I know their fear of humans runs very deep. And simple words likely won't overcome that. You're going to need something greater than words to change their minds, I think. Sylvanus wanted to answer, but realized Big Me was right. That knowledge didn't make his position any easier, because he knew if Lucas brought his wife back, he would want to reveal himself to her for Lucas's sake. And really, what would be the harm in that? Lucas had really wanted to tell the tree man about the mushrooms. He wanted to explain about some of the glorious nights he'd spent with them running their magic throughout his system. 
about watching water drops on a window sill turn into an infinite corridor of sparkling rainbows about communicating with larry for two hours in college one night without talking about how some shamans had been able to leave their bodies and take the forms of animals after ingesting these sacred substances but he could not not with scarlet there he hated abiding by this cultural taboo against speaking openly about so-called drug use especially in front of children but he just wasn't ready to answer all of the questions scarlet would invariably have but damn he wanted to share it with sylvanus when he and scarlet had hurried throughout their preparations for their respective schools he had mostly forgotten about the plan but he was pondering it some more when his car yawned to a stop at the intersection of one hundred forty fifth and main and suddenly he remembered crap i've got to call the damn council about this awful intersection yet he had little faith that they would do anything and would have convinced himself it wasn't worth the bother if it hadn't been for little scarlet sitting in the passenger seat large enough now so the seat belt no longer dwarfed her but still small enough for her legs not to touch the floor she swung them back and forth back and forth and lucas wished that she would keep on swinging them because it wouldn't be long before her legs were too long for her to enjoy that exercise in boredom he had to call about the intersection for her it was the fatherly thing to do by the time he got to school he'd gone through what he wanted to say several times voicing it to himself in his rearview mirror each time he took a little bit more of the anger out of his voice so that by the time he was on his eighth take he sounded completely calm and professional he was so focused on his task that when he entered the school he shot right past the staff room ignoring his usual morning greetings and coffee and headed straight to the phone room which was no more than a small room that had a phone a chair and a phone book they had a phone in the staff room but for a private conversation the phone room was always the better choice he paged through the phone book found the number for the lincoln city council and dialed it he got a message thank you for contacting the city council of beautiful lincolnton gateway to scenic mount rainier business hours are monday through friday nine a m to five p m we'd love to hear from you so please follow the instructions on the machine and leave a message or call us back during business hours thank you and have a pleasant day pleasant lucas thought and sneered before taking a deep breath and letting the anger pass he battled through a series of phone prompts and finally was able to leave this message hello my name is paul lucas i teach fourth grade at rainier view elementary and live at one 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 big fur lane the reason i am calling today is to voice my concern about the intersection of one hundred forty fifth and main the other day my daughter was knocked off her bike by a car there luckily she was not badly hurt strangely enough earlier that same day i almost hit a little girl who appeared to come out of nowhere i think the problem is you can't see either way because of the hill curve and signboard there i don't usually call you guys to complain and i hope you don't take this call the wrong way but i just figure that for the sake of future little girls and boys and parents like myself i needed to speak up on this one i think it really needs a stoplight thanks for your time he hung up the phone and let out a large breath thank god that is over minutes later as he was preparing for his morning class wendy swanson dropped in her peach blouse stockings and earrings contrasted greatly with her mood paul she said voice almost too low for him to hear did you hear about chris lee chris lee he thought and stopped organizing papers for a moment 
though the professional in him was reluctant to choose which student was his favorite chris lee was definitely his favorite no doubt about it no other kid worked so hard yet so effortlessly as chris lee did but what made him special according to lucas was his ability to get along with everyone in a way that always added some sort of spark to the mix he had an energy that made others want to follow him he had a comic streak too which lucas always adored in a kid in short he was a winner you might want to sit down for this wendy said and lucas frowned at her i'm serious lucas gave her a this better be good look and sat apparently he was out in the playground on friday and he had some advils oh shit lucas thought fearing where this was going and william schmidt was complaining about a headache so chris being chris he offered some advils to william they aren't exactly the best of friends so chris didn't know that william comes from a very strict conservative mormon household where all drugs are forbidden anyway schmidt went home and over the weekend told his parents the story so they called weinberg this morning raging mad that some punk on the playground was offering their kids drugs are they in his office right now i'm not sure this is total bullshit lucas said and almost wished he hadn't because windy gave him a subtle glare can't we just teach these kids and not deal with this extraneous nonsense what's going to happen to chris not sure windy said but i heard someone saying something about expelling him damn lucas yelled and jumped to his feet this was crap total stupidity and though he knew he probably should just keep out of it something deep inside of him told him he had to get involved he couldn't just stand by this time somewhat reluctantly he said i'm going to go down there and speak up on behalf of chris he started to walk out of the room and windy tried to grab his arm paul no windy he said feeling a surge of righteous adrenaline now somebody's got to be the voice of reason around here this is chris we're talking about he's a good kid and he was clearly just acting out of a sense of concern for william you don't know the schmitz obviously windy said that's right you wouldn't they haven't reached your grade yet let me see if i can explain it to you the way these people see it paul their son was being seduced by a servant of satan on the playground an older boy tempting their sweet little innocent with drugs these are not normal parents paul they are very protective and very religious ah lucas said beginning to understand and feeling excited now ready for action and they won't settle for anything less than what the damn law requires damn clinton why did he have to go getting tough guy on us with that stupid anti-gun and drugs in schools legislation man i loathe our leaders sometimes anyway i'm going down there he began to walk to weinberg's office and wendy walked with him trying to talk him out of sticking his nose in wendy i'm only going to see what's going on and offer my two cents if i can that's what i'm worried about she said your damn two cents finally they reached the staff room and lucas was relieved to see that weinberg's door was open and there were not two red-faced parents screaming at him instead weinberg sat at his desk with his head down and focused on some papers in his hands lucas strutted into weinberg's office and said to the top of weinberg's head principal weinberg can i talk to you for a minute weinberg looked up and said what's up i'm wondering what's happened with chris lee lucas asked he's not going to be expelled is he no nobody's talking about expulsion where did you hear that weinberg said lucas looked at windy who remained silent at most he might be suspended but that's for the school board to decide weinberg said sit down paul wendy they sat 
I'm going to talk to the board, Weinberg said, and argue both sides of the case. Both sides? Lucas asked. Are there two sides? Paul, Weinberg said. We are bound by the law to follow certain federal guidelines in our zero-tolerance policies. I'm sure you're aware of that. Yes, Lucas said. I'm aware that the law is totally ludicrous in how it ties our hands and eliminates reason. I wouldn't go that far, Weinberg said, shifting in his chair. It's strict school policy that students are not allowed to have drugs, prescription or non-prescription, on their person. You know that, Paul. Doesn't make suspension right. Paul, I'm sure you are here because you are looking out for Chris's best interests, Weinberg said, leaning back in his springy leather chair. Believe me, the last thing I want to do is suspend one of our top students, but I'm bound by the decision of the board. Ah, shit, Lucas said. You think they are going to go against him, don't you? I don't know. They will, Lucas said. The last thing they can afford to do is look soft on drugs. Is that all, Paul? Weinberg said, turning his head back toward his paper. All for showing some compassion, Lucas said. What kind of lesson is this for Chris? Lucas got up, and Wendy did the same, straightening out her skirt. When Lucas reached the door, he stopped and looked back. Sir, I hope I'm not coming on too strong when I say that I am wholeheartedly going to do everything that I can to make sure that Chris Lee is given a fair shake by the school board. They will hear from this year's Teacher of the Year. Chapter 11. A Friendly Upper, a Local News Downer. Thanks for meeting me on such short notice, Lucas said as he put two large mugs of beer onto the table between him and his friend. I know Monday Night Football ain't exactly high on your priority list. No, Larry said, swigging down almost half of the beer in a few gulps. It's not, but beer is. Lucas laughed. Good to see some things about Larry Sherry haven't changed. Nope, Larry said. I may change my appearance, but I highly doubt I'll ever give up my love of beer. Do you want another? Lucas looked at his mug, still more than half full, and said, You go ahead, I'll try to catch up. Larry went to the bar, leaving Lucas to ponder his day. It had been a weird one. At school, he'd felt a renewed sense of power after he'd stood up for Chris Lee and called the city council. However, when he came home and had to deal with a still-cold Terry, that feeling had been replaced by anxiety as he worried about the many small problems life was throwing at him. Rather than addressing them by himself, he'd decided he would tackle the problem by going out with Larry Sherry, drinking some beer, eating some pizza, and watching mammoth men mauling each other on a muddy field on Monday night football. Larry sat down and put another beer in front of Lucas. So you won't have to go to the bar when you finish that one. Lucas smiled. He'd expected Larry to do that, but still appreciated the gesture. To old friendships, Larry said, clanking mugs at Lucas. When do you head up to Rainier? Lucas asked. Thursday, Larry answered. But I don't think you invited me out here to talk about that, did you? I don't know what I wanted to talk to you about, Lucas said. Is it about this man in the tree of yours? Larry asked. That's part of it, Lucas said. But I think I've learned from my experience with Terry that the less I say about that, the better. Larry chuckled. It's her, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so, Lucas said. How'd you know? Let's just say I can remember a few nights in college that were as much about talking about your girl troubles as they were drinking beer and watching football. Lucas laughed. Guilty as charged. Anyway, Larry said, what's going on? 
Well, Lucas said, not sure where to start. She's still not talking to me about what she thinks is a joke that I won't come clean about. But I'm stuck because Terry is a stickler for telling the truth, even if the other person doesn't want to hear it. So if I say it was a joke, but then she finds out it's not, she's going to be even more pissed. I see your problem, Larry said. But don't you think she'll cut you some slack considering how unbelievable it is? Yeah, maybe so, Lucas said. Terry's a complex gal. The Terry I fell in love with sometimes disappears and is replaced by a mistrusting witch. Ouch, Larry said. Let me ask you this. I think you know why she can be that way, don't you? Yes, Lucas said, hating to rehash something he'd already told his friend about, but playing along. Her father left her when she was only five, and her mom didn't help future Terry because she raised her with the belief that all men were just as dishonest as her dad, and no matter how much they appear to be different, they will always disappoint you in the end. Yeah, such a childhood certainly doesn't help, Larry agreed. No, it doesn't, Lucas said. But I'm determined to be there for her, to prove her mom wrong, which means that sometimes I have to put up with a certain amount of bullshit from her. To your credit, I think you are more patient than I'd be, Larry said. But I think there is a bright side to your situation. Yeah? Yeah, Larry said. The bright side is that no matter how many times Terry's mom told her not to believe in men, obviously didn't fully believe her. Why do you say that? Because if she did, she wouldn't have married you, Larry said and finished his beer. You know, I never thought of it that way, Lucas said and also finished his beer. Time for another, I'd say, Larry said, getting up from the table. Indeed it is, Lucas said. And Larry, thanks. You got it. They enjoyed their companionship for the rest of the evening, and Lucas was pleased to see his favorite team, the Denver Broncos, eke out a victory over the New York Giants. To top it all off, Larry gave him a large bag of mushrooms at the end of the night and told Lucas he wanted to be there to help aid the man in the tree if he needed it. Lucas wasn't expecting this, but was drunk, so gladly accepted the offer. When he left Larry at his curb that night, he was excitedly telling him, I'll see you Wednesday morning. Larry zoomed off in his idea of a rental car, a red Mustang, and Lucas hurried into his house. It was 10 p.m., so he was hoping Terry and Scarlett would be in bed already, and he wasn't disappointed. He hadn't spoken with Terry all day, but he wasn't complaining. Nope. Considering the way things have been going with Terry lately, a day without talking to her was probably for the best. Lucas spastically prepared the couch potatoes' requisite feast, a bag of greasy potato chips and a can of beer, and plopped himself onto the couch, enjoying the furniture's bouncy reaction. He grabbed the remote and flipped on the local news. Tensions continue in Israel which has seen its deadliest year of violence in decades, the smiling blonde newswoman with too much red lipstick and blue eyeliner said. Could American lives be at risk? What about non-American lives? Lucas slurred. Don't they matter too? Lucas was well aware that this is a local news program, and as such, it would focus on what it assumed were its viewers' concerns. But he'd long been bothered by the narcissistic focus of the mainstream media as though American lives were somehow given a higher, the only, value over any other. A key guerrilla leader who was fighting the ruling Taliban in Afghanistan was killed in a suicide bombing yesterday, the newswoman was saying. Why am I watching this, Lucas thought. It was just a body count, and not the sort of information that could be good for a person's consciousness before sleeping. Besides, 
Why was news out of a faraway country like Afghanistan being covered on the local news? Still, he didn't change the channel. And closer to home, in Sacramento, a security guard killed himself yesterday after a gun battle with police and a rampage which left five dead and two wounded, said the newswoman, who somehow still had a smile on her face. Perhaps she was related to Rialto? Lucas didn't think he could take much more, but rather than turning the channel, he got up and went to the kitchen for another beer. Not that he needed it, but he was on a roll, and who was he to get in the way of a good thing? As he went to the kitchen, he continued to ponder the local nightly news. He knew that for the people personally involved in these tragic stories, the stories were very relevant, life-changing events. But for viewers like him? Usually, he didn't watch the local news, at least not since Scarlet had entered his life. He and Terry didn't want to expose her to the excessive violence. They both felt all watching such stories did was create a mindset of fear and distrust toward the world. At one time, Lucas was living next to a kind elderly woman who was a news junkie. When Lucas told her he'd gone to the city to see a concert or meet a friend, she'd always ask him things like, Aren't you afraid? Lucas would say, no, and ask her why she asked that, and she'd usually say, well, on the news, and that was all Lucas needed to hear. As a result of this woman overexposing herself to this news, she rarely left the safety of her house, and when she did, it was only to go to safe places in her suburban neighborhood where such tragedies could never happen, at least according to her. Lucas knew she was a bit of an extreme case, but he also knew that most Americans got the majority of their news from television. Because of this, most people had this idea that the world was a dangerous place and people were not to be trusted. Lucas often reminded people that news stories were news because they were things that didn't happen very often. For example, a man who goes to the supermarket, buys some groceries, and has a nice talk with the bag boy won't make the news. A man who goes to the same store, attempts to rob the place, and critically injures the bag boy, will. When put that way, most people say, of course. Yet the more they expose themselves to such news, the more likely they will start assuming, even subconsciously, that the news is an accurate, complete reflection of reality. As he walked back in the living room, already halfway into his just-opened beer, the TV was blaring. In spite of the struggling economy, one local company that is earning record profits is Mango Computers. Business industry insiders are reporting that CEO and founder Mike Miller is interested in using some of that money to enlarge his Mercury Media Company. Currently, Mercury owns four newspapers and three radio stations, but insiders are saying Miller wants to expand into the world of television. Some are even suggesting Miller's ambitious goals are to possibly create a new cable news network to compete with CNN and Fox. The TV showed a handsome red-haired man who Lucas knew was Miller, walking out of a fancy hotel and being asked about his goal for a TV network. I have no comment at this time, he said. Lucas understood that to mean that the rumors were probably true, because if they weren't, he would have likely denied them. Lucas took another big gulp of his beer, and the anchor woman was back on the screen, saying, The citizens of Lincolnton, a small but growing town at the eastern edge of Pierce County, have one last chance to voice their concerns about plans for a large outlet mall to be built in a small corner of the Roosevelt Forest Preserve. 
Let's go to Nancy Nakamori, who is outside Lincolnton City Hall, where this fierce battle is brewing. Nancy? Lucas sat down, leaned forward on the couch, elbows on his knees and chin on his hands, and glared at the television. The five-mile square section of land under dispute is known as Last Rush Canyon. Lucas nearly jumped out of his chair. Because of a legendary outlaw who apparently found a gold nugget in Salisbury Creek during the Depression, said Nakamori, all bundled up in a bright blue action news team windbreaker in front of the two-story city hall. Environmentalists are hoping they can strike it rich with one last rush to convince the local residents that the land should stay in its natural state. The controversy started when federal land use regulations were loosened four years ago, allowing states to sell small parcels of forest preserves for profit so long as the land is then used for a publicly beneficial activity. Local activists argue that not only does the mall not fit the definition of a publicly beneficial activity, the land contains endangered species, including Puget Sound Chinook salmon. However, a Pierce County Superior Court judge recently recommended that the deal go through because there was no conclusive evidence that there were any endangered species on the site. In two weeks, the Pierce County Land Assessor's Office will make the final determination whether or not to grant the permit. The screen flashed to a shot of a dark-haired, clean-cut man in a navy blue business suit and bright red tie sitting behind a large oak desk. On the bottom of the screen it said, John Ryder Schneider, CEO, J.R. Schneider, Inc. We feel confident the permit is going to be granted, and when it is, we will begin the logging process. You arrogant jerk, Lucas yelled at the TV, not thinking about his sleeping family. The screen went back to Nakamori, who hadn't lost her concerned look. A final citizen input meeting will be held at Rainier View High School next Monday night. Lucas was trying to remember all this, but his drunkenness was making that very difficult. He was thinking he could just contact the Tacoma Post in the morning for details about the citizen input meeting when suddenly a familiar face appeared on the TV. With the tagline Citizen Activist under his name, Sam Danielson, legendary Rainier View Elementary School teacher, said, We want every concerned citizen of Lincolnton to come out and express their opinions about this. It's the right thing to do in a democracy. This mall is going to destroy a beautiful forest and will also be an eyesore that increases sprawl and traffic congestion. Lucas told himself to remember to talk to Danielson in the morning. He turned off the TV, not wanting to hear any more of the disturbing news. It was just more shit to worry about. The implications of losing the forest to a mall were just too aggravating and shocking to consider, but he couldn't get it out of his mind, and he began to strike a pillow on the couch. Damn it! Damn it! No way! There's no way! They can't take my forest away! No way! He stopped striking the pillow and felt tears form in his eyes. He had to do something. Paul, came a groggy voice from behind him in the hall. What's going on? He stopped punching the pillow and cussing and looked up at Terry, who was leaning against the wall in a white bathrobe, her curly brown hair tussled from sleep. Oh, Terry, sorry. No, she said. What is it that's got you so mad that you woke me up? Terry, Lucas said. I'm a bit drunk. Obviously. Anyway, he said and flopped on the couch. They're going to tear down our forest and put in a fucking outlet mall. A fucking outlet mall. What? Yeah, our forest is going to be replaced by a fucking outlet mall, the bastards. Terry looked stunned. 
Lucas recognized that while Terry didn't spend as much time in the forest as he did, she still loved that it was there, that she could always access it just by walking out her back door. I thought it was a preserve. They can't sell that. It's public land. Nope, Lucas said. Something about land use laws that have recently been changed to allow states and counties to sell off parcels of the land for profit. For profit? Yeah, but the catch is, it has to be for something that's publicly beneficial or something like that. Yeah, right, an outlet mall. Publicly beneficial, sure, Terry said. I know, Lucas said. Look, Terry, I'm sorry about this weekend. It was a dumb thing to do. Are you admitting the man in the tree was a joke? Yeah, a bad idea for a joke, Lucas said. He wasn't sure why he was lying to Terry. Maybe it was because he just wanted everything to be back to normal. Or maybe it was more simple. Maybe he just wanted to forget all his troubles by getting laid. Okay, she said. Let's forget about it. Not worth losing any more sleep over. They walked to the bedroom. When they got there, Lucas started to strip down when he felt the bag of mushrooms in the inside pocket of his sweatpants. He was hoping Terry didn't notice him pause as he felt the bag, but he had no way of knowing for sure as he tossed the sweatpants into a pile on the floor. Do you want to really make up? He asked, raising his eyebrows suggestively. I'd love to, she said, taking him in her arms and falling to the bed. As their lips locked, Lucas was struck by one strange thought before descending into a much-needed thoughtless session of sex. If they are going to chop down the forest, those mushrooms had better work. Chapter 12. A Time for Action There's nothing like waking up to a soft kiss on the lips. When it happened to Lucas early that Tuesday morning, he rolled over pleasantly and for a moment thought everything had returned back to normal. Then, an avalanche of thoughts buried this delusion, and Lucas leaped out of bed without opening his eyes. In the process, he just about knocked Terry over, but she was nimble enough to back out of the way. Whoa, tiger, she said. Take her easy. Sorry, Lucas said, already hopping into his blue jeans. I've got a million things i got to get done this morning. You and me both, Terry said. What are you going to do about the forest? Well... Lucas said, putting on a brown sweater over a plain white t-shirt. Danielson was on the news last night, so I'm going to get the skinny from him, see where that takes me. How much time until the decision is made? Not enough, Lucas said. Two weeks. It didn't sound too promising, but I've got to at least register my disgust. Definitely, Terry said, leaning into her dresser mirror so she could apply a dab of moisturizer to her cheeks. Okay, kiddo, I got a scoot. All right, Lucas said. See you tonight. Terry bounded out of the room, and Lucas breathed a sigh of relief. They were back on good terms, and that meant a lot to him. If things seemed a bit crazy in the outside world, at least they were all right at home. Lucas was in the middle of lathering himself in a lightning frenzy of soap and water when he suddenly remembered the obsession that had predated all of the latest strange developments in his life. Rialto. Stupid Rialto. For a millisecond, Lucas paused because he'd had the craziest thought. Maybe Terry was right. Maybe his competition with Rialto was childish and petty, just a ridiculous expression of two bored adults with nothing better to do with their time. Yes, now that he had some real issues to deal with, getting back at Rialto just didn't seem all that important. However, one thing didn't change. He still couldn't stand the hairy gorilla. 
Lucas wanted to take his mind off Rialto, so he decided to check his email. As he sat down at the computer and the America Online homepage came up, the main news story had a photo of a small fire coming out of one of the World Trade Centers in New York. The article was pretty vague, saying only that a small plane had crashed into the building, so Lucas figured it was just another case of someone abusing society's accepted inebriant, alcohol, and then making the mistake of taking control of a fast-moving vehicle. Lucas thought nothing more of the story and clicked on his email. There was really nothing of interest in the first few messages, but then he noticed a note from another of his old college roommates, John Weisenberg, who currently lived in New York City. Like Weisenberg, who could talk the ears off the most patient listeners, the email was a rambler, mostly updating Lucas on Weisenberg's ever-continuing job-bouncing and woman-chasing. It also ventured into a rant against New York Mayor Rudy Giuliani, which made Lucas smile. No one could rant like Weisenberg. Fortunately, Lucas saw mostly eye-to-eye with him, so reading or hearing his rants was enjoyable. When he finished the email, Lucas didn't have a lot of time to respond, so simply wrote, Hey man, I hear you were out drinking late last night and crashed your biplane into the WTC. Be careful, dude! Happy that he had been able to tie the events of the day into a sidelong personal insult against the party in Weisenberg, Lucas folded his laptop and got ready to face the day. For some reason, he felt unsettled. With the weather forecasted to be nice, things patched up with Terry, and the message from his old friend who he hadn't heard from in months, there was absolutely no reason to feel uneasy. But there it was. When he got to school, there was a noticeable buzz in the teacher's room. Oddly, he heard sound from the seldom-used TV in the corner of the room, and several of the teachers were watching it. What's going on? Lucas wondered. He walked into the room and saw an image of the WTC, but the smoke and hole in the side of it looked a lot bigger than it had on the Internet. What's up? he asked Wendy. Haven't you heard? she asked. America's under attack. Just like that. That simple. From whom? he asked. Well, we don't know that it's under attack, Danielson said. All we know is two commercial airliners apparently flew into the north and south towers of the World Trade Center, and about 30 minutes ago, another airliner was reported to have flown into the Pentagon in Washington. It's like something out of a bad Hollywood movie, Wendy said, except it's real. Wendy seemed pretty shook up, and Lucas could tell from her smeared makeup that she'd been crying. Lucas wanted to ask if she was okay, but the shock of the news overwhelmed his capacity for speech. Finally, he said, Wendy, you all right? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine, she answered rather defensively. Everything's fine. Lucas watched the TV for a few more minutes. The images and the excitement of the news reporters were unreal, and Lucas found it hard to turn away. But at last, he remembered he had some things to take care of before class, so he said, Well, it's definitely not your normal way to start a Tuesday, and walked away, not noticing that his comments had caused the other teachers to wince. He went to his desk and checked his voicemail. He had a message from a man who sounded like he'd either drunk too much coffee or had a cocaine habit. Hi, Paul, the message began. Robert G. Phillips, City Council, returning your call. I'm assuming you know why I'm calling, so I'll cut to the chase. You're not the first to call about that crappy intersection, but you're going to be one of the last. We're going to get that thing fixed, and soon. 
problem has been that it's not in the Lincoln City Limits, so it's the county that's been dropping the ball. With that said, let me tell you something that will make you very happy. Around here, I'm the guy who makes things happen, so when I say it will be fixed, it will be fixed. I'm in the process of closing the deal to get a crew out there to improve it, and sometime in the next few weeks or so, you may start seeing some folks out there, surveyors and such, working on the problem. Now, please, don't go announcing this everywhere. It's not yet official, but it may as well be. That's right. No more little kids are going to get hurt there. That I can guarantee. Well, if there's anything else I can do for you, give me a jingle any time. Lucas smiled widely and put down the phone. In his experience, this was unprecedented. Usually, when he'd taken action by working within the system, he'd been bounced from one bureaucratic buffoon to another, never really getting anywhere but frustrated. So even though he often cared about problems and could easily become outraged about injustice, he had all but given hope about his own power to change things. But this time, all it had taken was one phone call, and the city councilman had been prompted to action, to stand up for the innocent, to fight the good fight. Like Terry's kiss, this thought warmed Lucas to the bone and caused him to strut to the coffee machines. Hey, Paul, Danielson said, what's there to be so chipper about? Just then Lucas remembered them all, and it felt like his blood was being sucked out of him by some high-powered robotic vacuum cleaner. Sam, I need to talk to you. Sure, Danielson said, gathering several manila envelopes full of colorful papers. Art projects? Lucas asked as the two men walked down the long hall to their classrooms. Yes, Danielson said. Me and my art projects. The older I get, the more I like grading them, which is strange, I suppose. Lots of things are strange, Lucas said. Danielson didn't respond. Instead, he asked, What's on your mind? A lot, Lucas said but mostly the forest behind my house. What's going on with it? You know, Last Rush Canyon, Lucas said. Oh, hell, Danielson said, stopping for a moment in the empty hall, still too early for the presence of the students. You live over there? I didn't remember that. Yeah, Lucas said, and I didn't find out about it until last night when I just luckily happened to see it, and you, on the news. Sam, I've got to find some way to help. Terry wants to help, too. Good, good, Danielson said. They reached Lucas's door and went into his classroom. Us activists are having a meeting this Thursday night if you'd like to come. Count us in, Lucas said. What's this all about, Sam? I mean, don't they know that it's really not safe to build in a canyon like that? Well, the mall will be located in the meadow next to the canyon, Danielson said. And the parking lot will extend toward the canyon, and they'll clear a part of it for future expansion. Anyway, to answer your question, yes... I'm sure they know it's not real safe to build there, Danielson said, scratching his gray mustache and readjusting his glasses on his long nose. But they build things anyway. What's the point of worrying about some future catastrophe, 10, 20 years down the road? So long as you can make a profit now, that's what it's all about, eh? Lucas sat down in his chair. Paul, can I ask you something? Yeah, sure. What do you know about Chris Lee? How much do you know, Lucas asked. Well... I know the board is reviewing it Thursday afternoon, but I don't know the details about what happened. Lucas explained to Danielson what happened, and Danielson, who had the older Schmidt in his class, didn't need an explanation about the rest. The Schmidts. Damn. Yeah, Lucas said. They're pretty unbending from what I hear. Anyway, I'm going to go to the school board meeting to support Chris. Wow, Danielson said. That's a great idea. I'll go as his ex-teacher, say a few words myself. Lucas rubbed his hands through his hair. 
It had grown out enough so it almost covered his bloodshot eyes. He was feeling the effects of a delayed hangover. To make matters worse, he hadn't shaved that morning, so his look wasn't exactly becoming for an elementary school teacher. Danielson took this all in and said, Is something else the matter? Lucas looked up, a bit shocked by the question. How was he supposed to respond? Did he dare tell Danielson about the man in the tree? No, he couldn't. Not yet. Not without talking to Sylvanus more. And maybe, just maybe, he wouldn't have to worry about it. Maybe those mushrooms were going to work. No, Lucas said. I've just had a bit of a rough week with Terry, but it's all good now. Danielson smiled. Well, good. So, looks like Thursday is meeting day. Yeah, Lucas began to say, when all of a sudden, Willie Rialto, looking fit, tan, and hairy, in a nylon teal Miami Dolphins sweatsuit, came strolling into the room. There you are, he said to Danielson. I'm glad I caught you. When's the next meeting? Thursday night? Lucas couldn't believe this. I'll be there. Always good to have you, Willie, Danielson said to Rialto, who was already walking out the door. Just then, Lucas remembered he'd never had that satisfying conversation with Rialto, where he would rub it in that he'd won the Teacher of the Year award first. A part of him still wanted to, but another part, a growing part, said it really wasn't necessary. So he ignored action for now. Instead, he jiggled his head to snap himself back into reality and asked, How is Willie involved? Oh, he's been involved a long time, Danielson said. At least two years. He never told you about that? No, Lucas said, wondering if they needed to cut back a bit on the gambling and actually talk for once. He didn't. Funny how a person can know someone but not really know them, Danielson said. Well, I suppose I better go get ready for class. He gathered his manila folders full of colorful artwork and left Lucas alone. Willie Rialto? Helping to save a forest? Ladies and gentlemen, I am absolutely flabbergasted, and so will you be flabbergasted when you find out who the first guest I've ever gotten for this podcast is. If this doesn't help me move up on the Apple chart rankings, I don't know what will. I don't know what y'all expect of me to become the next Joe Rogan. Now, I don't want to build up the suspense too much or the tension or the suspenseful tension, but this is a person who is an absolute fucking legend in American culture and Canadian culture, maybe New Zealand culture, maybe even in Zimbabwe, this guy's famous. That's how big he is. And he's been around for a long time and he's been consistent in doing what he's been doing all these years. This guy is one of the fathers of rock and roll. That's right, folks. Today I have for you the one, the only, Neil fucking Young. Neil Young is with us. Now, I don't want to waste any more of your time, and I'm sure you don't want to have your time wasted. I'm sure he doesn't want to waste his time either, so let's get to it. Let's bring him on. Neil, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm all right. How are you going? Doing well, doing well. Um, so, yeah, thanks for coming on the podcast. It's kind of amazing that you would... Uh, choose to appear on a show like mine well yeah you know you got to give back sometimes yeah i agree i agree thank well anyway thanks it's much appreciated i've been a long time fan uh yeah i can't say i've listened to all your music because you have so much out there 
Well, I've been prolific, if nothing else. <laughs> that is true. But, uh, boy, you sure do have some classics, and you have some stories to tell. Uh, so rather than me doing most of the talking today, like I usually do, I want to have you do most of the talking. Well, I usually let my music do the talking. Well, that's probably a good move, um, especially with someone with as much talent as you have. Uh, I want to talk to you first, so let me just open up with a question that's been on my mind. One of your songs, it's kind of, well, in a sad sort of way, uh, the Gen X generation, which I'm a member of, has uh, knows pretty well, um, is the song uh, Hey Hey My My. And uh, in that song, the reason we know it is because... Uh, well, let me let me ignore that for a minute. Yeah, Kurt Cobain, I know. Okay, yeah. Yeah, Kurt quoted it in his uh, apparent suicide letter. Apparent? Let's just leave it there. We, won't, we don't want to explore theories about how Kurt tragically uh, left us too early, but he did, and he's gone, so... Okay. I, I thought maybe you were one of those conspiracy theorist wackos I hear so much about. Well, sure, we can... Yeah, let's just leave it there. Okay, I'm getting a little uncomfortable. All right, fine. Kurt killed himself. Let's let's move on. But uh, yeah, your song "Hey Hey My My." In that song, um, would you mind singing a little for the crowd? Maybe the fans don't know it so well. I thought you just said they did. Well, I don't know who's listening to this. So, okay, it goes "Hey Hey My My." Rock and roll will never die. Okay, yeah, stop there. That's 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 what I wanted to get to. Is that very lyric? Yes. Oh God, I think I know where this is going. Yeah, the death of rock and roll. Oh, I knew it. It's not the first interview that's gone this direction. Shit. Um. Yeah. Well, sorry. I'm mean, just curious what your thoughts are because you know, is rock and roll dying? It will never die. I said that already. Okay, but is it dying? I mean, everything's dying. You take your first breath, you're on your first step toward death, right? Right. But rock and roll will never die. Well, neither will the gangs in L.A., the Crips and the Bloods. <laughs> Didn't expect you to go that way with this, but, um, yeah, I've heard that said, too. But isn't there, like, a idiom, never say never? Well, I'm an artist, okay? I don't follow idioms to make my art. No, no, neither do I. Neither do I. Are you an artist, too? Well, I mean, I do some creative writing and fiddle on guitar. you got to do more than fiddle to be an artist. Yeah, I know. I don't want this interview to be so combative, Neil. I'm trying to talk to you on a human level. I'm just curious of your thoughts on the state of rock and roll right now. Okay, okay. My apologies. No, no, don't worry. I'm old. I get cranky sometimes. You know, I'm out working on my farm and my cars and shit and... You know, sometimes the weather heats up to 80 degrees and kind of come in and got grease under my armpits and shit. And I get cranky. Well, I can understand that. Um, yeah, don't worry. No worries. We all have our moments. And I wasn't really saying you were the one being cranky. But anyway, yeah, what do you feel about rock and roll? State of rock and roll? Well, I'm still going. So as long as I'm here, as long as old Neil's around, you ain't going to kill rock and roll. Oh, I like that attitude. It's feisty. It's what we've come to expect from you. You still recording then, of course. Of course. Just came out with a new album this year. Haven't you heard it? Thought that's what this interview is about. Um, yeah, I know you have a new album out. You haven't heard it? Uh, you, you haven't heard it. God, Jesus. Came out here to promote it. You don't even know it's out. I mean, I know it's out. What's it called? 
Uh, I don't know. It was released around the same time as Dylan's new album. Jesus, don't bring him into this. I mean, I love old Bob, or Robert as I call him, old Zimmy. Uh, he's not really who I want to talk about right now. I know, I know. We're just having a chat, and you know, like this is a podcast where we talk about anything and everything. I've talked about astrology and the, astrology. You believe in that shit? Jesus. First you're talking conspiracy shit. Now you're talking about fucking planets and how they fucking align in our heads. What's next? What you gonna talk about next, Tarot? Oh yeah, I did my Tarot card reading this morning. What the hell is wrong with you, boy? Boy. Oh, sorry. I got my little Leonard Skinner in my head. Leonard Skinner. You know they wrote that song, Southern Man. Wait, I thought you wrote Southern Man. I don't fucking know anymore what's going on. All right, I'm old. Anyway, rock's not dying because I ain't dying. <laughs> Neil. This interview has definitely gone slightly off the rails. Well, when you ain't on the rails to begin with, how can you go off them? I don't know. That's a good, good question. I have lots of good questions. You want me to ask you some more? How about I do the interview? Who the fuck are you? Uh, I'm just a guy in Japan. I'm 47 years old. I didn't ask how old you are. I asked who you are. Think about it deeply. Take your time. Uh, one of the golden rules of podcasting and radio is dead air is not so good. You like the Grateful Dead, right? Yeah. They got lots of dead air. I understand they did do that, and the tapers even labeled it dead air, but I would just skip past those parts. I want you to think deeply about this. Who are you? Who are you to call up Neil Young, legend of rock, and ask me if rock and roll is dead? I didn't say it's dead. Is it dying? Because, I mean, I'm looking at the charts. Fuck the charts. I've never cared about them. Okay, I'm looking at the critics. Fuck them, too. If you're an artist, you don't care about charts or critics. You do your art, man. And I'm telling you, I'm still doing rock and roll. Listen to my new album, and then call me back, all right? Um, Neil? Neil? Shit. That went faster than I thought. I still had a couple other questions, and then I just wanted to chat with him about what it was like to be in a band with a name like the Buffalo Springfield. Whew. I wasn't even gotten to David Crosby yet. I thought the, that, that's when I thought things were going to get testy. Well, I guess I still have some practice to do, folks, if I'm going to get good at this interview and stuff. But, hey, I had Neil Young on my podcast for, what, almost eight minutes? It's pretty good. It's longer than most people get him for. Still don't know why he came on. I think he's a little bit, well, I won't say it anyway. Neil, love to continue the conversation. I'm going to put this out. And, uh, yeah, hopefully you'll come back on the show because um, there's a lot I could chat with you about. I didn't mean it to get testy, but I love rock, man. I love rock and roll. Put another dime in the jukebox, baby. I mean, come on. Joan Jett and the Blackhearts? Come on. I love rock, man, and I don't want it to die, so I'm still supporting it. I'm still going to see rock bands when I can, so, you know, I still listen to rock music. Like, I, I don't want it to die. I don't think it, I don't think it's dead. I think it's just one of many subgenres, but I just wanted to get your thoughts on it because you wrote that song with that lyric. I wasn't even getting into the Kurt, maybe I shouldn't have brought up fucking Cobain and Janet. I didn't bring up, I just said Janet. Ah, fuck. Should have prepared more for this. All right, Whatever. It went the way it went. I'll put it out. You guys do with it what you want. Hopefully you enjoy the Neil Young interview. Hopefully you'll give my podcast a like or ranking or whatever the fuck you got to do to make the algorithms pay attention to me so that someday somebody can give me more than 
just a hey nice podcast man like somebody can pay me like a dime or a nickel or a quarter or a thousand dollars or whatever all right thanks guys we'll try to get neil back in the meantime thanks for listening